You have found the space between art and science. I am your host, Erica Ruby. On today's episode, we speak with playwright Derek Lee McFadder, a 2021 recipient of the Creative Capital Award. Later, Edith Dove reviews the exhibition Fiction, Science, Buvard et Puget. Derek Lee McFadder writes plays to activate alternative views of our past, present, and future in pursuit of truths that will empower us all. His growing body of work often unfolds at intersections of class, gender, sexuality, technology, and race. Informed by his subjectivity as a Black gay man, he is a dramatist committed to generating new work that speaks directly to the diverse audience communities the American theater needs to survive in the 21st century. Welcome Derek Lee McFadder to our podcast today. Derek is a playwright, producer, and writer from another dimension. He unfolds narratives at the crossroads of race, class, gender, sexuality, and technology. We met over the course of your residency at the Jurassi Resident Artist Program. This was in 2019. So once a year before the pandemic, Leonardo and the Jurassi Program collaborated on a cross-disciplinary residency that brings together artists and scientists for a month-long retreat during which artists working in a variety of media work closely with scientists working in disciplines to explore and transform the boundaries of art and science. So can you tell me a bit about the intention that you had in going into the residency and how the experience has influenced your work since? Uh, thank you, Erica. Yeah, the Jurassic residency with Leonardo in 2019 I was really looking for an opportunity to do some deep thinking around my work Uh, as somebody that has a day job and who kind of fits their art in where I can. A lot of my energy is consumed in the day to day, even when I have an art project, it's usually I'm presenting or producing part of it. So I'm really caught in the day to day. And I knew the next couple of projects I wanted to do would really require more more time to concentrate. I also had a lot of questions where I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to write. So I didn't come to the Jurassic residency with really a specific project in mind. I had a specific couple of things I wanted to read and some general topic areas. And I was also really, really interested in deepening some of the reading I'd done specifically around climate change, because I knew thematically at least where I was going to go. So. Uh, as I was looking for residency opportunities, which were also new to me, I hadn't really taken many residencies before of this length and this scope. I was looking for something that had some sort of connection to science, but I also, since I'm a playwright, so I'm not a scientist, I was looking for an opportunity like that. And the collaboration that you do with Jurassic seemed like kind of the perfect fit. So that's why I applied specifically for that residency. And my intentions were really to give myself time to breathe, to dream, and to explore, to try to like feed the creative muscles. Uh, and that's what happened. So, so what, what came out of, of the work that you did there? I, I mean, it was sort of a transcendent spiritual experience, if I can really be honest with you. It's such a beautiful place to be. And the environment that is cultivated there is one of immense support and respect for the creative process and all the time you need. And so one of the big things that I took out of there was affirmation that I am an artist and that I do deserve to have opportunities like that and that that is actually part of what I need to create my best work. And more than anything else that I've experienced to date, that residency 
provided that affirmation in a way that I didn't even realize I was looking for, but that I definitely, definitely grew from. So like kind of being comfortable sitting in the artist chair is kind of something that I got out of it. Uh, I also got a lot of reading and work done. So it was, it was a wonderful time to finish some writing on some other projects that I'd kind of let languish a little bit, just needed a little bit more push. So a couple of other projects got completed. And then I really, really, really got to a point where I could dream about what has become the Night Queen Performance Suite which is a trilogy of new works that are looking at climate change uh, from an Afrofuturistic perspective, specifically communities of color and urban environments and their experience there is kind of one of the anchors. So that's the big creative thing that came out of it. I got to dream up a whole new world in a trilogy of work uh, that I wasn't, that I thought about before, but I never had time to really contemplate in a meaningful way. So I know that you've brought an excerpt from Night Queen part one to read for us today. Yeah. Can you give me a little bit of context about this piece and the, the character you'll be reading? Night Queen is envisioned as an, uh, the technical, well, the formal title I'm giving it is the Night Queen, Night Queen Performance Suite. It's an Afro-surreal performance suite, which is looking at climate change. But the specific question it's looking at is the water crisis. One of the big crises of the 21st century that's impacting the entire world in a lot of different ways with climate change, with rising temperatures, Water is not where it used to be in all these different ways with the melting ice glaciers and all of that. So that's kind of the social, the big social question. And what I'm trying to get at through the trilogy is how do we find hope? How do we not despair? Uh, we've, we've passed a couple thresholds that environmentalists and scientists have told us are if we don't reverse here, it'll, it's kind of a point of no return. We've passed, about, we've passed a couple of those over the last 30 years. Um, so we're in a pretty dire situation in a lot of ways, and it's, it's evinced all around us. So I'm looking, I'm projecting slightly ahead into the future and looking at if, it, if we've allowed it to get this bad, how do we, what do we do from here? Because we cannot give up. Uh, so that's kind of the, the big, big question. And then specifically, I'm looking at ex examining that question over three works. And the first work is working title Underdrown, and we're looking at a Black queer intellectual who, what he's trying to do is finish his dissertation, but he's also in a city that is purportedly sinking. So it's a future vision of Chicago, and it's, according to the powers that be, it is sinking into Lake Michigan. And he's skeptical of that, but he's not necessarily a climate change denier, and he's giving a lecture to his students about uh, sort of that context. So that's kind of the wind up for this little excerpt. Well, I would love to hear it. Please go ahead. Okay. So I'll share a little bit from Night Queen Part One, Underdrown. Main character's name is Zeke, by the way, and our setting is a virtual lecture supported by Nine, Zeke's AI, a la Siri or Alexa. Wow, okay, we're back. How was that? What did you trace? Okay, I see a couple of you had questions. Sorry, I missed those in the chat. Glitch in the system, I guess. No problem. Let's run through it together then. Nine, outside, please. And the waters are rising right now, even as we look outside. Feels like a bad storm, but it's unprecedented, right? Our powers that be, stewards of the network, that, that complicated chain of government, private and semi-public entities we've entrusted to keep things going. When traced, 
we find not only the fact, the authenticity of the assertion, but also the context informing its interpretation. Our powers that be are willing, are telling us to abandon our ill-fated city in the wind. These unprecedented waters are just the beginning, they say. An extreme atmospheric event has been forecast as a near certainty. So are we drowning too? Are we sinking? There's no ocean here no Gulf of Mexico, and yes, we can trace the sinking claim to source. Geothermal imaging of Chicago and the lake. It appears to be true. Two tectonic plates converge deep beneath Lake Michigan, and every year or so, their stubborn conflict pushes the floor on our side of the shore up just a bit, effectively increasing the water level. Ah, and here's another bit of authenticated fact. The lake has been at challenging levels across the 20th century with all sorts of attribution, no singular cause. So are we convinced? Shall we simply trust the officials insisting we flee our city in the wind before the end of the week? I submit we must push further before we release our skepticism. We must ask questions. Who? benefits from the proliferation of this message, leave the city. Ask yourself, what happens to the Chicago we leave behind? Who inherits it and for what purpose? Ask these questions, students. Trace your assumptions to source and you'll have everything you need to decide for yourself. Thank you so much. I mean, that speaks so specifically to contemporary issues that, that we're facing with the environment, with skepticism of government and overreach, and quite like a lot of science fiction, right, that is grounded in and comments on contemporary issues. Another of your plays, The, the Serious Adverse Effect, has premiered in Baltimore in May. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, in this piece, a scientist who was on the verge of discovering a cure for a mysterious disease, seeks reconciliation with a family who does not trust her motives. So I understand that you wrote this work prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm wondering if the yeah. play hits differently for an audience in today's world than the audience you might have imagined while you were writing. Uh, thank you for asking about serious adverse effects. It's another play that I really, really love that is again at the collision of science and technology and what we're dealing with uh, in a sort of futuristic way. I did, I wrote it over the course of 2016 into 2018. So that was a different time, not so different from now, but it definitely wasn't specifically COVID-19 pandemic times. Uh, and I will say that I, one of the things that I finished, finished was serious adverse effects during my Jurassic residency. So I went back and polished a couple of things. And out of that, all of that, I did get the production opportunity. So I'm really excited about that project. I will say <laughs> doing the press and everything for serious adverse effects, adverse effects in Baltimore a couple months ago, everybody thought I wrote it about the pandemic and they were really surprised to hear that I did not. Uh, I will also say that the cast, the team that did it in Baltimore basically did it in masks. They kind of took our current context and like put that in the production vision. So it became <laughs> sort of about today in a way that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. The, the, the truth, the science that I was looking at is that pandemics happen regularly and we're due for another one given how human behavior is. And specific, I was looking specifically about how the healthcare system is not necessarily equipped to handle that. And I was 
drilling down on how that affects black people. So that's where my research came from. And I was looking at things like the Tuskegee experiment, Henrietta Lacks, whose you know, genome was used to create infinite strains for science. And I was looking at stuff like that. So that's where my brain was. And yeah, the audience in terms of how they received it, I think they thought it was prescient, which I guess you could say it was. One reviewer called it a tonic. So, you know, they presented it in March and, you know, we were, I would love to say that we're on the, we're in late era pandemic times is how I'll describe the times. And for them, for that particular person, it was interesting to experience it as as sort of give it a catharsis and kind of to say goodbye to at least the way COVID-19 was, we were experiencing it then. I have to say that I... (laughs) I have no interest in seeing a pandemic play right now. I, want, I don't want to. See, so I was very like, are you guys sure you want to do this play? I know we've signed a contract, but I, it's COVID. If you want to cancel, I'm, I'm perfectly fine because I don't have any interest in like revisiting a pandemic. But as I watched it uh, via the streaming services, I realized it was providing a way to have a conversation about what we've been through recently in a way that seemed helpful for people. So I'm grateful for that. As the playwright, you know, you kind of make it and you let it go. So I'm at the point now where I'm trying to let it go and let it be what it's going to be. So I don't know if I answered your question, but those are like my thoughts. No, absolutely. I think (laughs) that art really is cathartic and it does give us a window or a filter through which to view our own experience and to uh, interpret it, you know, in a different way. And that's, that's really the, the beauty of art. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering in, in our last few minutes that we have together, what's next for you? What's coming up and what should we look for? Well, uh, Hive is a sci-fi anthology series that I'm co-creating, which is more about AI than like environmental concerns. Uh, we just had our first screening in Denver and we have a couple more festivals coming up. So if you follow me on all the things, Derek, uh, DMCP number one on Instagram and stuff, you'll see my announcements about that. But what I'm Also, in terms of writing process, what I'm excited about is really Night Queen, the project that I developed, I dreamt up at Jurassic, and I received a Creative Capital Award for last year or into this year. So I'm really drilling down on that. In fact, uh, after this call, I have to schedule a meeting with the director of part one to talk about where we go with the project. Um, So I've got a lot of momentum off of Night Queen. So stay tuned for more announcements on that as well. Wonderful. Please keep us well-informed and we're watching your work with a lot of anticipation. Really, really happy to have you as a guest today on Between Art and Science. So thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. It's been a pleasure. This is fun. The annual Leonardo at Jurassic Art Science Residency, held at the Jurassic Resident Artist Program in Northern California, has been on hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but is scheduled to resume in 2022. Visit leonardo.info slash residencies to view past residents, their field notes, and resulting work, and stay tuned for news on the return of the residency next year. For Leonardo Reviews, here is Edith Dove. This may be somewhat unusual to critique a student exhibition, but Fiction, Science, Buvard et Pécuchet revealed a pleasant surprise with the discovery of the work of scientist-artist Samuel Etienne that begs for sharing. The small exhibition at the Artothèque Isadar in Le Havre, France, is the preliminary end result of an art and science seminar that was organized for the first time during the past year. This seminar is the brainchild of artist Dominique de Beer and art historian Tanya Vladova, 
who invited geomorphologist Samuel Etienne as a collaborator. Etienne specializes in the erosion of landscapes and more specifically that of the littoral. He has been collaborating with the bear on several projects since 2018 as her artwork for which she chisels away at all kinds of materials such as polystyrene has a clear resemblance with natural erosion processes. Etienne points for instance to the resemblance of her work with several eroded landscapes, including that of one of Jupiter's moons. Since 2016, Etienne is also active as an artist under the name of Seitung, a pseudonym that comes forth out of his long-standing love for fanzines, of which he has become somewhat of a specialist. As Seitung, he endeavors to use his art practice to introduce science to a wider audience. This is done, as he says in our email conversation, by reinventing his naturalist view on landscapes and putting an effective and personal dimension at the heart of an analytical approach. As for the exhibition Buffard et Pichet that came out of his collaboration and seminar, the reference to Gustave Flaubert's infamous Buffard and Pécuchet is obvious. The hilarious story of two copyists that run into each other in Paris by chance discovering a lot of similarities and interests and are, thanks to an unexpected inheritance, finally able to retire to the Normandy countryside and more specifically to the as yet non-existing Chavignol, is reactivated in a most original way. This year is not only Flaubert's 200 year birth anniversary, with the project being part of the many festivities that surround it, it's also the 140th anniversary of Bouffard and Pécuchet that was published posthumously in 1881. But the main reason for choosing this book is of course the couple's tireless thirst for knowledge, their endless experiments that more often than not are a complete failure, but nevertheless keep them continuing discovering the world through the scientific literature of its time and copying it. The possibilities of the experiment, whether in art or science or the combination of both, lies at the heart of fiction science, a form of art science situated between art and geomorphology. The project has a clear pathophysical aspect that is also confirmed by Etienne in our email conversation on his work, saying that this aspect interests him in both his theoretical and practical activities, but also as a way of living in the world or living the world in which every encounter becomes an event, opening up to something new not unlike the constant experiments of Flaubert's antagonists. The idea is to produce a joyful science where the mood and thought of the producer of knowledge, scientists as well as artists, are at the heart of the creative mechanism and are a priori worth as much as the classical scientific baggage or tools. While part of the student's work is a direct illustration of text fragments from Bouvard and Pécuchet, in other cases, the nature of their work seamlessly connects with the theme of the seminar and the exhibition. The poster image by Letitia Marmoldi mimics scientific drawings of plant and other specimens, while in an installation she also cuts geographically into, into Flaubert's text. David Mendy was inspired by Bouffard and Pécuchet's curiosity and determination, which made him take the episode of their interest in the human body and its functions to create a series of organs in Le Coeur, l'estomac, l'oreille et l'estin. A more ongoing interest in semi-scientific work that chimes with that of Bouffard and Pécuchet, sorry. A more ongoing interest in semi-scientific work that chimes with that of Bouffard and Pécuchet 
can be found in Baptiste Ed Chevry's Saint Titre, Just Carotte, a kind of cabinet of curiosities showing the beauty of all kinds of misshaped carrots in jars on an orange colored oil drum or Anisès Ossé's tongue-in-cheek scientific experiment, couffeuse or incubator, that has as an ultimate aim to develop a burger. Emma Gentil, on the other hand, is somewhat of a geologist herself, having collected stones from the landscape she adores since 2019 and showing part of her collection, Precieuse Archive de la Terre, happily coinciding with Bouffard's and Pigouchet's expedition to the Normandy coast to find fossils or trying to copy a small grotto with the use of a hand-painted, earth-colored plastic sheets. The backbone of the exhibition is, however, literally formed by the work of Samuel Etienne and Dominique de Beer. The latter uses the shells of a rayonnage alteration, racks that are sculptures in themselves with their typically hammered surfaces, to generously show the work of the other participants. Amongst others, the various petri dishes that Etienne has transformed into microscopy hinting to the ongoing copying activities of Bouvard and Picouchet. A small fencing edition with the same title presents various geomorphological surfaces. Most surprising are probably his so-called Pays-Camin, the name of which is an amalgamation of the words Paysage, landscape, and Medicament, medicine. Etienne sees his meticulously designed medicine as a way of both consuming and preserving various landscapes. A special edition of his fencing cast comes with a box of six landscape capsules that can be mentally taken to be transported to a landscape of one's choice. Neatly positioned on the connecting cable housing between the sockets on the back wall is a series of medicine boxes of Chavignol, the capsules of which possibly give direct access to Pouffard and Picouchet's stomping ground. Etienne intends to place Chavignol on Google Maps as part of his new reality project. In a way, it's already there. Edith Dove is an art historian, curator, writer, and researcher specifically interested in notions of emergence and contingency, cross- and transdisciplinary collaborations. Leonardo Reviews has provided scholarly reviews of books, exhibitions, videos, websites, and conferences since 1968. Reviews are published monthly at leonardo.info reviews. Between Art and Science is a production of Leonardo, the International Society for the Arts, Sciences and Technology. Our editorial director is Erica Ruby. Leonardo at Jurassic is an art science residency co-produced with the Jurassic Resident Artist Program in Northern California. Leonardo Reviews Editor-in-Chief is Michael Punt. Podcast production by Tina Tsuimaka. Our theme music was composed by Wyatt Koish. Visit leonardo.info slash podcast for extended episode notes with more information about our contributors, a list of all available episodes, and links to the streaming services where we can be found. Find out more about Leonardo, our publications, and our programs at www.leonardo.info.